We are going to be talking about uh, quiet times. So if you would, open your Bibles to Psalm number 63. Psalm 63. And, and, and you guys know about your quiet time, right? You have a quiet time where you meet with the Lord. And this morning, I just, I, I know that... <clears throat> I know God has something for us, okay? And the reason I know is because you have a fellowship pastor who cares about you and prays for you and prepares. And, and when, when Kenny asked me to come, you know, I just, I know that it's of the Lord. I see him in his office during the week and he's praying for you. He loves you. He, he studies to prepare for you, and you have a fellowship pastor that loves you. And so him asking me, I just gives me affirmation that this is of the Lord, which, which helps me to think probably there's something for you in this message this morning. Okay, and, and so maybe you could consider your quiet time. So let's not just look at like, Quiet times, a new topic out of the... No, maybe you could consider your quiet time as we get some principles from God's Word, and I don't want to programize or, or formalize the quiet time where it just becomes like a, a series of steps, but I am going to present some examples of, of what would be a biblical quiet time as we look at Scripture this morning, but maybe your quiet time. I don't know. Is it consistently consistent? Because you can be consistently inconsistent, and then technically you're still consistent, right, Gordon? So, I mean, you know, if I just asked how consistent is your quiet time, you might say oh, it's very consistent, but it's really just you're thinking it's consistently inconsistent. But it's consistently. So is it consistently consistent? Are you connecting with God during your quiet time? Are you coming out of your quiet time different than you went into it? Are you getting the same thing out of your quiet time that the psalmist gets out of his quiet time? So, so as we consider quiet times, let's, let's just consider our own quiet times together. And maybe, I don't know, maybe this will be a, a great morning for you. Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for your spirit. God, thank you for the fellowship that we have in Christ. And this morning, God, we, we just want to come into your presence and, and hear from you. And so, Lord, would you please bless and anoint in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're in Psalm chapter 63, verse 1, and we're probably only going to get really this one verse covered this morning, but here's, here's what we read. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Okay, so that's our passage. We're just going to go through it one little section at a time and see what the Lord has for us. And so here's how it starts. O God, thou art my God. Okay. That my, that's a possessive pronoun. That makes it personal. Okay. It's one thing to say, O God, and to acknowledge God. It's something different to say, thou art my God. And, and maybe just in terms of understanding that, we could think about the other relationships that we have in our life. The my makes it personal, not perfunctory, not just going through the motions, okay? 
So I'm a father. I want to be a good father. Everyone in here who's a parent, you want to be a good parent. Everyone in here who's a spouse, you want to be a good spouse. You want to be a good employee. You want to be a good son or daughter. We all want to do that. But as I think about my family, okay, I don't just get joy from being a good father. But man, I get joy from being Kylie's father. I get joy from being Andrew's father and Braden's father and Jesse's father and Jonathan's father. I'm so glad my children are like good children. Okay, but you could go to my son or daughter and say, you're a good child. But you can't say, my child. I have a beautiful, wonderful, godly wife. She's a virtuous woman. But anybody could look at her life and say, man, wife... She's a wife. Anyone could say, you're a wife. You're a good wife. I can look at your wife and say, man, you got a good wife. That's great. Woohoo! Good. Okay. You know what really makes it personal? You know what really brings me joy? You know what really makes it matter? Is Christine, oh, wife, you're my wife. My wife, I get to spend the rest of my life with you. Oh, wife, thou art my wife. Oh, my child, thou art my child. You guys see this? Oh, God, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Yeah, the God of me, my God, and it makes it personal. Listen. If it's not personal and you're, you're not, it's not your God that you're having a quiet time with in the morning, then I would just wonder, is it perfunctory? Are you just going through the motions? Do you have religion but not relationship? Oh, God forbid. You know, a theologian who's lost, I'm not saying all theologians are lost, well, it's just my example. He's a theologian, but he's also lost. Okay, that's the guy we're talking about. He knows all about God. He can say, oh God. He can't say, my God. You can have a quiet time in which it's, you know, God, but not my God. With my family, you know, when we spend time together and we have that personal part, here's what we talk about in parenting, or we talk about the quality time, right? I need to have quality time with Christine. I need to listen. We just need to spend time together, not working through a performance review, not having yet another ministry meeting for the thousandth time, we just need time together. You guys know what I'm talking about? Quality time with your kids? Here's point number one. This is what goes in your blank. Our quiet time needs to be quality time. Oh God, that, thou art my God. Quality time with our Father. 
The verse continues, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee, and we'll just break this down. We'll stop with early. What about early? Well, that, I mean, <laughs> it means early, okay. But it's, it's, it's like early in the day. Also translated morning, okay? At dawn, it's the new day, and, and it literally means in the morning, okay? And there's a picture here that's, that's being displayed that I, that I don't want to miss. If you skip down, just look at verse 6. We won't get that far in our, in our, in our exposition this morning. But in verse 6, David says, When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. Okay, so he, he's talking about at nighttime. And, and the, you guys know about the night watches? So they're keeping watch. They're guarding through the night. So you've got four night watches in the Bible. Okay, you have from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. That's the first watch. Okay, this is the New Testament version. 9 p.m. to midnight is the second watch. Midnight to 3 p.m., 3 a.m. is the third watch, and then 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. is the fourth watch. Okay, so you've got your four watches in the night. And you will see a pattern. I'm not going to take time this morning to, to, to show you, but there is a pattern in Scripture that, that talks about, that, that, that portrays this night watch as a time of difficulty, as a time of darkness, as a time of concern and doubts. And then what happens is you get that sun that rises, whew, and it's a new day. Okay, we... We'll see a couple of examples here, but, but in this passage, we have the early will I seek thee. Flip over to Proverbs. We can, we can jump over there, stay in the books of wisdom, but look at Proverbs chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? She standeth in the top of the high places by the way... In the places of the paths, she crieth at the gates, at the entry of the city, at the coming in of the doors, unto you, O men, I call. So here is wisdom personified in the gates, in the pathways, entering into the city, calling out to us to, okay, look at now, skip down, and it's still in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 33. Hear instruction and be wise. Refuse it not. So we're supposed to be listening for this voice that's, that's, that's available to us. Verse 34. Blessed is the man that heareth me watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. There's a watching and a waiting at the gates Okay, because wisdom's going to be speaking forth, but there's this, there's this time where you're watching and you're waiting, and that night watch, just like, like, like maybe there's a merchant waiting to come into the city, but the gates, the gates are still closed, and it's the fourth watch. The sun isn't risen yet, but they're waiting and watching at the gates. Or maybe you're, you're a watchman on the wall, like you got fourth watch duty this week. Work in the night shift, right? Shift work, and you're up there, and it's dark, 
And you can't see, but you're, you're, you're waiting and you're watching. You're waiting and watching for what? You're, you're protecting, but you're also waiting for that sun to rise. Early will I seek thee. And if God speaks to us in the morning at the opening of the gates, I think there's a picture there that we want to see. We know that the sun rising is obviously a new day. It also pictures a new day at the end of the church age. Matthew, Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, where the sun of righteousness shall arise. Speaking of Jesus Christ at the coming of the, at his second advent. Here's a verse that relates. You guys know this verse, 2 Peter 1.19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as a light that shineth in a, what? A dark place, okay, until when? Until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Okay, here, here's the picture I, I don't want us to miss. We're all subject to some degree to the darkness of this world. We have doubts, we have fears, we have oppression, we have discouragement, we have frustrations. I mean, fill in the blank. But, but, in the morning, his mercies are new. I know that sun's going to rise, and, and if the sun can rise, if I can be waiting and watching at his gates, so to speak, and when that sun rises up in the morning over my open Bible, in my quiet time, it dispels the darkness. Like the uncertainty Maybe I enter my quiet time feeling a little bit lonely. You get lonely sometimes, but I tell you what, that sun rises in a meeting with God who is my God over the, the Bible and that illumination comes in and what happens is, is we can connect with God in a way that mirrors the actual physical reality of the rising of the sun as the sun of righteousness as God's word is illuminated. You know, Moses went up on the mountain and he met with God. And when he came back, his face shone. They had to cover up his face. There was too much glory, too much brightness. Why? Because he didn't put on his sunscreen? Because the physical sunlight at the top of the mountain, you know, you go to the mountains, you got to put on your sunscreen, right? Is that what happened? No, he met with God who is light. It was a spiritual reality. And listen, the, day, the rising of the sun is a picture for us that every day his, more, his mercies are new. And I know there's a lot of things that are wrong and, and, and we have doubts and fears and loneliness and struggles and discouragements and all that stuff. But I'll tell you what, the sun's going to rise. And someday, soon, he's going to return. But until then, I've got the sunrise and I've got my quiet time. Psalm 80, verse 18. So we will not go back from thee, quicken us. That is, revive us, and we will call upon thy name. Turn us again, O Lord of hosts, cause thy face to shine. And as I seek God, as I seek his face in the morning, and his illumination comes. The light of his face, it dispels the darkness. 
And there's a second point. Our quiet time needs to be a quickening time. That word quicken means to revive us. Oh God, thou art my God. And then early, that is in the morning when the sun comes up, the beginning of your day, I will, or will I seek thee? So we need to be seeking God in our quiet times. Okay, so we're a teaching church. We know that we actually have the inspired, preserved word of God in our language. Amen? And the more you study this book, and not just read it, but the more you study this book, the more you become in awe of how it all fits together and how it's all applicable to our lives. And we love this book. Oh, Lord, I love thy precepts. Okay. I know it's the pathway to blessing for me, and I love to study it. But just like a theologian can know about God without knowing God, a scholar can study God's word without actually seeking after God. And I would suggest to you that we have our seminaries full of scholars. I'm not saying all scholars don't seek after God, but some of them, I've read their stuff. They're all about being a scholar. I don't see anything in there that reflects the fact that they're actually seeking hard after God. And I would just ask this question, if we're, in, a, in, in our quiet times, if we're not seeking actively after God, what are we doing? What is that time? If you're not seeking after God in your quiet times, what, what exactly are you doing? Oh God, thou art my God. Early will I read through the Bible in a year. You should read through the Bible in a year, but I'm not, I don't think that's what your quiet time's for. Oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek my own personal gain. Oh God, thou art my God. Here's one for the leaders. Early will I put together a message. Guilty, I do that sometimes. Oh God, thou art my God. Early will I do my D2 homework. <laughs> you should do your D2 homework. You should put together messages. You should read through your Bible in a year. Good, that's, yay. That's not what your quiet time's for. Early will I perform a religious duty. God forbid. Seek to connect <clears throat> with the God of the Bible. Seek to connect with the creator of the universe. You know the guy you read about that we're in awe of, that, that, that we are so grateful for, but we also tremble before? Seek him. You, personally. Oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. Yea, though... It kills me. God, to, seek you, to see your face might kill me, but God, I'm going to seek your face. To connect with him, think about it. Think about connecting with the God of the Bible personally. To boldly approach the throne of grace in your morning time. 
You know, God is not far. It's not like he's impossible to connect with. In fact, Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him, and he with me. Oh my goodness, but... If we don't seek him, he might as well be a million miles away, not on the other side of the door, because you're not going to open the door because you've got better things to do in your quiet time. That just doesn't make any sense, does it? That's the church of Laodicea. That's what we have to fight against. So number four, our quiet time needs to be a quest time. And the quest is for him. A, a, a questing time, a, a Time of questing. There's just not that many keywords, okay? So that's, that's what we got. Uh, we're going to be on a quest to seek him. Paul said it this way, that I may win Christ, that I may be found in Christ, that I may know Christ. All else is done. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. And you guys, here is why we need to seek him. Number four, my soul thirsteth for thee. I don't know about you guys. Sometimes I misinterpret my body's signals. Okay? You've heard of referred pain? Like, like uh, ladies, if you get jaw pain, it may be a heart attack. It's like, well, no, it's not chest pain. I know, but the nerves that go to your heart also go to your shoulder and your jaw, and especially with women, they get what's called atypical pain, atypical angina. So, so it's your heart that's that's in trouble, but it's like, I've got jaw pain, okay? So you, you guys all know about that, pain going on the left arm, you need to pay, right? You guys know about that. Sometimes it's not even that complicated. Sometimes I'm a little dehydrated and my sweet tooth kicks in. And I, what I really need is to just get a drink of water, okay? Man, I'm so thirsty and my body's like, ice cream, <laughs> chocolate. <laughs> Which, if I would have just carried my water bottle that day, stayed hydrated, I wouldn't have that sweet tooth, okay? So I don't, I don't know. Sometimes I can misinterpret the signals my body sends. Well, this verse, you guys, it's so powerful. Listen, my soul thirsteth for thee. So sometimes, even though your soul is thirsting for God, that's how your soul works. You're, you're a believer. You're a new creature in Christ. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are part of new. And part of your new nature, believer, is that your soul has a need to connect with God. Your soul thirsts for God. But sometimes that gets misinterpreted <laughs> like, I need a new job. I need a vacation. I need to escape for a while and watch the new, what's, what's the Amazon show, the, uh, the, the Rings? The Rings of Power series. And, and you should watch Rings of Power, and you should go on vacation, and you should have a good job and all those things. But listen, they're not going to actually satisfy the thirst that you are misinterpreting. You know what your soul really needs? It, it needs him. Check this out, you guys. Check out this verse. Jeremiah chapter 2, 
verses 12 and 13. You can turn there. This is so good. Or at least write it down on your notes to look it up later. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. What would God, what could be so bad that God would have his people be very desolate? Look at this, verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, God says. Number two, they have hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You guys, that's, that's not one evil in God's sight. That's two evils. Number one, you've forsaken him. He calls himself, God calls himself the fountain of living waters. The psalmist says, my soul thirsteth for thee, for the, for the never-ending wellspring of what my soul needs, the living waters. And then God says, you've forsaken me and you've hewed out cisterns. A cistern is a hole in the ground. It is literally digging into this world and creating something so that you don't have to go to the wellspring. You can now just provide that water for yourself. So what would that look like practically? Well, that's all the things we want. It's the escaping. It's the relationship or the, the, the money, the power. It's the things that the world offers and promises to satisfy you with. But the Bible says, you know what? You've forsaken the true source of, of soul satisfaction. And you're hewing out cisterns and they will not hold water. They hold water for a little while, like a broken cistern. That's fun for a little while. I'm starting to think of, of a new car in this way. Hey, have you, new, have you seen the, the new Chevy cistern? <laughs> it's awesome. That would be so cool. I would love to have that car until I got to pay the payments and fix it and get new tires for it like you, I mean I mean I have cars right I just don't drink from them I have a job I just I just don't drink like man those new sneakers are awesome yeah that's great don't drink from them <laughs> There's like a thing like people drink wine from a I don't know what a picture of what not to do spiritually. Man, I shoulda, I shoulda, woulda, coulda. Okay. God calls himself the fountain of living waters. He satisfies. Therefore, I am seeking him. Because I, I, you know, he's the one that satisfies. And I would just say this, you guys. There's great liberty in life from being satisfied. I go to the Cheesecake Factory, and on the way in, I look at those cheesecakes. you got to walk by the cheesecakes if you go over on that side, and it's like, hey, Christine, like, look, <laughs> look. And it's, it's like I'm hungry, and those cheesecakes look amazing. Like I'm trying to justify spending $50 on a cheesecake to take home as I'm walking in there, and it's like, well... And then we go and we eat at the Cheesecake Factory and I eat too much like I always do every time I go out to eat. 
Then on my way out, it's like, ah, no. Like, ugh. That thing which was so appealing to me when I was hungry, now that I'm satisfied, it's kind of lost its appeal. Okay. If you can come out of your quiet time with your soul satisfied, the things of the world no longer have that appeal to you. And listen, 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 we're needy. Our souls thirst. And if, we, if you enter into your day, your week, your month, if you enter into your life unsatisfied, then it's going to be a constant battle against yourself to get what you need when you know those needs aren't the place where you're going to get satisfied, but you're not finding it anywhere else. Leave your quiet time satisfied because you said, God, you are my God, and early you sought him. And you fat, like, like your soul thirsted, but, but now when you leave your quiet time, it's like walking out of the cheesecake factory. I'm not needy anymore. Now I can come here and I can make myself available to you because I'm not needy. I don't need like to suck the life out of everybody because I'm already full. I can just pour myself out. Proverbs 27, 7 says, The full soul loatheth the honeycomb, but to the hungry soul every bitter thing is sweet. Look, we're needy, but his mercies are new every morning. The wellspring never runs out. I just need to make sure I'm accessing it every morning. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wondrous face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. Our quiet time needs to be a quenching time. Quenching the soul's thirst. And I can't wait to meet with him in the mornings. And it's not perfunctory. It's a personal interaction. And it's not duty, it's delight. The verse finishes with this. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Okay, so I'm not going to forsake the wellspring, but that's only half of it. I'm going to approach the wellspring, but the other half of it, so that I don't just do one evil instead of two evils, is I'm not going to hew out cisterns for me out in the world to try to find additional sources of satisfaction. Those things are off limits to me because it is a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Okay, well, actually, there is water in our world, right? Isn't like two-thirds of our earth covered with water? Aren't there streams and rivers? And I know we're like in drought, but there's still... No, this is spiritually speaking. This is speaking regarding the satisfaction of your souls. If you can just, like, determine that this world is a dry and thirsty land, it's so liberating, it's not a place where I'm looking for satisfaction. I'm going to consider it a dry land, okay? But I'm also, okay, so that speaks to the world, the nature of the world. There's nothing out there to satisfy, but it's also a thirsty land. That speaks to the people. That speaks to us. Like, people are thirsty, and if you look around, we've got, I'm running late, aren't I? Do I need to wrap up here? Dry and thirsty land. Okay, 
I don't want to be thirsty. So I'm not going to spend all my time trying to find water where it doesn't exist. We know that God satisfies. The other half of it is that the world doesn't satisfy. Remember the Matrix? You guys, who's seen the Matrix? Chris, like, in Living Well, we don't watch those carnal movies. Oh. Like, <laughs> like, I figured you all had seen it. I've never seen it. No, I'm kidding. Okay, so... So listen, when Neo's eyes were opened and he saw the world for what it is, and you know what it was? A desolate, dry, gray, barren wasteland. You guys remember that? Man, that's what happened to me spiritually when I realized it's this world that leads people astray, that puts them in bondage, that crucified Christ, where it's just continuing to lie and it allures us away, but there's nothing there for us. It's a dry and thirsty land. Okay, so... I'm going to wrap up with this. It's just our last one. Our quiet time needs to be a quieting time. Okay, and what I mean by that is I've sought God. I found him. I've got my soul satisfied. I'm ready to leave my quiet time, but what now? Well, now I'm going to enter into the mission field, which is my life into this world, which is a dry and thirsty land. I'm not going to find any satisfaction there. I am like the saints at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. To the saints in Christ at Ephesus. I am in Christ, but now I'm also going to be at Kansas City. And I have to go out into this dry and thirsty land, which is my mission field. And so I know that in Christ, it's all good. I'm seated in heavenly places. Man, that's where I'm at emotionally, spiritually. My soul is, is, is good because of that. But physically, I'm entering into this world, and I just need to be prepared. It's going to be disappointing. There's going to be drama. I'm not going to get my way. I'm going to be offended. I'm going to be mistreated. Okay. I'm not going to leave the in Christ because of the at Ephesus. Make sense? Now, listen. That's not easy because now I can't be reactive. So I need to quiet myself like the quiet waters that aren't stirred up with the waves and the storms. You need to, you need to quiet yourself and ready yourself to go out into the world because otherwise you won't abide. You can't abide in Christ throughout your day if you don't draw near to him in the morning, by the way. But it's also possible, we've all done it, to draw near to the Lord at the retreat, at camp, in your quiet time, and then you go out into the world, and then you just run out from under the shadow of his wing, reacting to things, whatever hot topics get you going. No, 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 stop. You've done it a million times, and it never works. It's not going to. Stay under the shadow of his wing. Be quieted. Be calm. Be peaceful. Stay in that place. You guys see what I'm saying? Our quiet times needs to be a quieting time. So finally, let's, look at the, let's just wrap this up. Let me give you an example of a Bible-based quiet time. So first of all, we could use Nehemiah chapter 2 as a model. We could use the tabernacle as a model. Let's just skip those slides and go to slide number 9. So time, place, and practice. First thing in the morning. That's what the, that's what the thing says. Here's the biblical principle. So at the beginning of your day... Go ahead, skip this. That's a model that we could use, but I'm, I'm not going to talk about that. Okay, 6 a.m. Why 6 a.m.? Well, because that's, you're going to see the sunrise. 
if you do your quiet time at 6 a.m. You don't have to do it at 6 a.m., obviously. But you need to do it daily, every day. His mercies are new. Don't miss out on His mercies. How about the place? You, you want to have a, a private, quiet place where you can get alone with God. Otherwise, it's going to get interrupted a million times. The secret garden, just that, that's what that's about, is, is you connecting with God in your quiet time, in your quiet place. Here's a picture of my office. Okay? <clears throat> so that window wasn't there. Actually, the room wasn't there. We built the room, but then we put in that window which faces the east. Okay, so the sun rises, and I turn those blinds. I don't want my neighbors seeing me. Like, so I turn the blinds so that the sun can come down, and it literally shines on my Bible. The sun rises as I'm going from dark to light every morning. So you want to, I mean, I want a window. It's in the basement. I can shut the door. It's private. So here's an example of a, of a, of a quiet time. 15 minutes to enter his presence with prayers and confession and praise. And then 30 minutes of pursuing God through his revealed word following a daily reading schedule. Number three, I don't think the three got on your handout, but three would be prayers and praise of response, interacting to him with what he read, what you read and what he showed you. And then number four, preparation. So quieting yourself, getting ready to stay centered under the shadow of, your, of his wings as you enter into your day. And I, is there one more that just has a summary? Right there. So there would be a one-hour quiet time in which you are entering his presence, interacting with God through praise, prayer, and his word, and then preparing to enter your day under the shadow of his wing. So, so man, um, guys, don't turn your quiet time into a perfunctory religious duty when you should be meeting with the creator God of the world who is the sole source of your soul satisfaction. Amen? You guys see that? All right, Father, help us, Lord, to just live out our lives in relationship with you. And God, if our daily quiet time, we could just connect and then abide, we would be so blessed. So I just pray that, Lord, you'd help us to, to, to live our lives in fellowship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.